I'm going to talk this morning about pelicans. Is that all right? Uh, Jesus, uh, referenced several times in the Gospels, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Say, I want to be a fisherman. God made us to fish. Listen to this. For many years, Monterey, a California coast town, was a pelican's paradise. As the fishermen cleaned their fish, they flung the offal to the pelicans. The birds grew fat and lazy ah, and contented. I don't know why I'm doing that. It's awful. I mean, it sounds gross, doesn't it? But anyway, uh, fat, lazy and contented. Eventually, however, the offal was utilized for something else and they were no longer snacks for the pelicans. When this happened, the pelicans made no effort to fish for themselves, unable to cope with the fact that things had changed. They waited around and grew gaunt and thin and many starved to death. They had forgotten how to fish. The problem was eventually solved by bringing in healthy pelicans used to, used to the challenge of fishing. They were placed among the starving cousins and the newcomers immediately started catching fish. Before long, the hungry pelicans learned to fish once again. <laughs> ah. God made you to fish. Now, in the Bible, when Jesus talks about being fishers of men, he means catching people for God's purpose. Going and catching people who don't know him yet or who have lost their way and drawing them back into the things of the kingdom. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, God made you to fish. And then turn back at them and do this. Go. <laughs> and say, do you smell fishy? If God made you to fish, you should smell a bit fishy. Uh, some of us, would you agree, if you've been a Christian a long time, sometimes you need to learn to fish again. Yes. And we're starting a series that will go on through this month, really building up to Christmas time when we want to see lots of people who don't yet know Jesus come into this place and find Jesus. And so for this month, we're going to talk about how to win our friends and family and reach lives for Jesus. How to fish again. Is that okay? So I'm going to teach you to be healthy pelicans. Is that all right? See, the danger is that we can excuse these words now. You just have to forgive me because you love me. Um, if we don't learn to fish, sometimes we can be fat, content, maybe scared, maybe bored in our spirituality. Here's a dangerous one, self-absorbed, lazy. Let's be practical, untrained, and so we feel ill-equipped and nervous. But imagine if everybody in Revived Church led one person to the Lord in the next year, there'll be 1,200 people in the church. A year later, if all of those people led someone to the Lord, there'd be 2,400 people in the church. It only takes 10 layers of that, 10 years, and there'd be over half a million people, the entire region would be saved if we all led one person to the Lord. And Jesus said, I will make you. I will make you. We can resist the challenge. You know, it's very easy to end up with a, a singing and a preaching aspect to church, but completely miss the reason why you and I are still alive. Because I, I got to be honest, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, heaven sounds great. Come on. I, I imagine it's all the pepperoni pizza you can eat and the Starbucks in every corner. I'm going to love heaven. Some of you wondering about me there. 
Uh, but the reality is, wh why are we here? We're here to reach people. For Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's not our responsibility to get them saved, but we've got to preach and publish and release the gospel. So let's, let's take this series seriously. Let's take it as a bit of a challenge because I know it'll be a challenge for many of us to think, how am I fishing? Have I lost my ability to fish? Have I ever had an ability to fish? How can I reach people in my family? Now, we love the great stories of evangelism, don't we? I tell a story of a friend of mine who was an apostle in Africa and he was he was old and he was uh, a widower and he was walking past a nightclub and God said go in the nightclub and he argues with God about that he's a sort of apostle that would always dress in a suit and have a big bible do you know what I mean a proper pastor not like me he he, 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 he looked the part and God said go into the nightclub eventually after arguing with God he goes in the nightclub there's a woman dancing in the middle of the dance floor and she is what she looks like she's a prostitute and God says to the apostle go dance with that woman and he's thinking of the headlines he's well known in his country you know, widowed apostle dancing with prostitute in nightclubs. So he argues with God about that one. Eventually, he does go dance with her. He does talk to her. He, he makes it very clear he's not after her services. But he meets her the next day in a coffee shop, leads her to Christ. And a work begins that leads hundreds of prostitutes to Christ in one city. We love the great stories. Billy Graham went to a, a, a crusade. He was due to speak from night two onwards, but he turned up to night one and he was sat back in the crowds, thousands of people there. And he sat next to this man and the, the other evangelist there was preaching his heart out and he came to the altar call. So Billy thought, well, I'll do a little bit of my own evangelism. So he nudged the guy next to him and said, uh, do you want to go forward? I'll come with you if you want. And the guy says, oh, no, no, I hear the big gun is coming tomorrow. I'll wait for that. We leave evangelism to the big guns. When actually look at the power if every one of us realized, if we all just led one to Christ, what a transformation. But many would just call it revival. And all it really is, is people taking themselves seriously that I'm a fisherman. And all of God's power is available to help me. It's not about the big guns. It's about all of us playing our part. Here's an interesting thought. How many of you came to know Jesus? You've got to show me your hand. Is that okay? Let's just practice. Everybody wave at me. Let's just see who is going to really not cooperate this morning. Look around. Look for the non-cooperators. Give them a prod and tell them that they're rebellious. Get that witchcraft out of you. Right. So work with me now. Who have you? Well, the Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. So we dealt with that one. There you go. That one's for free. Sort it out. Wonderful. So who have you came to know Jesus through a TV show? Show of hands. Wonderful. Who have you came to know Jesus through a book or a tract? Wave your hand. Two. Who have you came to know Jesus through a stranger? Wave your hand at me. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Who have you came to know Jesus through an advert in a magazine? Not me, I didn't. I just, <laughs> sorry, I got carried away with my own uh, story there. Who led themselves to the Lord? There's no one involved at all. There's always one, yes. Oh, and Janice, there you go. <laughs> Who was led to the Lord by a friend or a family member talking to you and bringing you to church or to an event? Raise your hands, look around you. That's how most people are saved. Don't leave it to the big guns. If we could all lead one. Say, God, teach me to fish. Amen. So I just want to share three little things with you uh, by way of giving you a perspective. Um, it's to do with your heart, your head, and a hook. Say heart. 
Say head. head. Say hook. hook. Here's the first part of it. Your heart. God, give us a heart for the lost. Jesus said, uh, um, uh, you lose a coin, stop everything. Go find the coin. You lose a sheep, leave the 99. Go find the lost sheep. He has a heart to seek and save that which is lost. God is obsessed about that which is lost. And if we're going to have God's heart, then God give us a heart for those who are lost. I have found no way to transform my heart better than praying for people who don't yet know Jesus. If you want your heart that, you know, we get dull sometimes, anybody, we get hard hearted. We get a bit dry about the whole topic and the whole area. But nothing awakens your heart by remembering, pray for that loved one who doesn't yet know Christ, for that child, for that wayward son, for that relative, for that friend, for your work colleagues, for your school colleagues, begin to pray for them and a flicker of something will awaken in your heart. But more than that, J. John says, it's funny, when I pray, coincidences happen. I was walking to, to the service a few weeks ago. And as I'm walking to the service, you know, a blinding light for a pastor, I suddenly thought, why don't I pray to meet someone on the way to church? So, so I pray to meet someone on the way to church and lo and behold, and I did, if I'm honest, I prayed, Lord, please make it easy because I want to, you know, just help me because I don't feel like an evangelist. Anybody in here not feel like an evangelist? Listen, prayer works. So God make it easier. So I'm walking to church and this guy walks up to me and says, can you help me? I'm like, there you go. That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. So I was actually late for the prayer meeting because I took him for a coffee. I gave him some money for a bus fare. And he was in agony with, a, with a, a problem in his jaw. He was in a lot of pain. So there we are walking across the car park in front of Boots. And uh, I said, well, can I pray for you? And I told him about the gospel and I shared about Jesus. And I, I laid my hands. I said, can I put my hand on your face? Absolutely. Put my hand in his face. And I prayed in Jesus' name, be healed. I prayed with all my might. I was expecting a miracle. I took my hand away. I said, so how do you feel? He said, I'm in complete agony. I said, but Jesus loves you even in your agony. And I walked away. In other words, it doesn't always have to be a blinding success. But a seed sown is a seed sown and a prayer pray turns your heart. And when we pray, coincidences happen. God, give me a great conversation in work today. Would, would you orchestrate it? Give me a great conversation in school. It just helped me to talk to my neighbor. It begins with the, with the heart because prayer is powerful. Tony Campolo was sat on a plane flying on an internal flight in America. And the man sat next to him. He just felt in his heart, I want to share the gospel with him. But he was feeling a bit chicken. So he thought, well, I'll go for the prayer option. So on a plane, you can do this if you're a, a decent sized human being. And he shoved his arm up against the guy next to him. And he said, give it him, Lord, give it him. Just get him, I pray in Jesus' name. And he prayed for him all the way on the journey on the internal flight. And just as they were coming into land, the man turned to him and said, excuse me, are you a Christian? Because I need Jesus. And there in the arrivals land, he led that man to Christ. When we pray, coincidences happen. Get your heart engaged through prayer. Secondly, we need to get our head engaged. I don't know about you, but words that sum up evangelism for people like me is words like nervy, um, lazy, uh, busy can quickly invade our lives. What do I mean by, by nervy? Well, it's a bit panicky. To, I'm, I, I'm the kind of, well, I have to ask the question really, is evangelism only for extroverts? No, so there must be something for introverts. All the introverts in the room said, nothing, because you're an introvert. Um, 
God help me as an introvert to lead people to Christ. It's nervy. I, you know, I sweat when I go to a party. All those people, even if I know them, that I have to talk to and be delightful because really I'm an introvert. So here's one for the introverts. God, it's nervy to do evangelism and talk to strangers and people we don't know. Uh, lazy because God, if I'm honest, I can shove it to other parts of the agendas in my life and do other things that I like more like singing and listening to preaching. And busy because my life can be pulled in so many directions that it gets lost in amongst all the inverted commas spiritual things to do. God help us. We need to get our heads into this, not just our hearts. Because who knows, you can get your heart into something. Come on, every January your heart's into exercise. But because your head doesn't ever go there, by March you're not doing anything. In other words, he who has a heart but no plan never lives his heart's desires. You need a plan. I'm going to put it another way this morning. You need a platform. I'm stood on a platform. In the book of Nehemiah, they built a platform to stand on. It said it was built for the purpose of reading the word of the Lord, to preach to someone in whatever context I mean. And I don't really mean the preach of a service. Use this as a picture, please. You need to build your platform because it makes it less nervy. And it makes it planned. There's a process, there's a habit in place that puts you somewhere where you reach lost people and it's natural to have a conversation. My question to you this morning is, where is your platform? Have you identified it? Because it will give you confidence. It'd be quite hard in this room for somebody halfway up the bleachers with no microphone to start controlling the conversation in the room. I can control it from here because I'm stood on a platform and I have a microphone. So there's a focal point. You expect communication to come from this point in the room. There are platforms in your life that you can identify, build and occupy where it is more natural for you to share the gospel than at other times. If you just leave it to the floaty... Well, when it happens, it happens. Well, you may see some success. And if you're an evangelist by nature, you'll find it easy and see more. But for most of us, it'll quickly sink low in our priorities. But if we build a platform, that's where I learn and grow in confidence in sharing the gospel. So I build a platform by joining the Alpha team. I build a platform by being involved in something that reaches out to youth or to young mums. Or I, I, I identify a gift, a talent, an opportunity, a group of friends. Could your connect group become a platform where we say together we build a platform where we feel more confident sharing the gospel let's do a barbecue let's run an alpha course let's reach out to people let's do something for friends let's have coffee let's make cakes do you know what I mean whatever it is let's build a platform where suddenly it's natural to say oh and by the way do you want to come to church on Sunday build a platform to take away the nervy knees where's your platform Because most of us in this room feel hopeless at evangelism. Why? Because we don't build platforms. But we're all different. So for everyone, it's a different thing. For some, it's ministry. I want to ask all the ministry people in the room here that do things within church. Can what you do face people who don't yet know Jesus as well? I think of even the open mic night that that Phil did the other day where people who don't yet know Jesus were coming in and singing and showing their talent and yet great conversations could be had. It's natural. Why? Because it's a platform. It's a place where we can declare who God is and it feels natural, not clunky. In our British, please nobody knock on my door age. I I don't only not open my door at Halloween. I don't open it all year round. (laughs) Why? I'm English. Right, so I need a platform. Your connect group, I've said it already. Where in your career can you face the loss? Some of us literally can't, very difficult. 
but some really can. And they say, I see this as my opportunity to share a better way of living and a better way of believing. Where's your platform? It could be children. Do you know that 52% of people are saved under the age of 20? I say that again, 52% of people are saved under the age of 20. By the time you get to 50 plus, only 1% of people are saved at 50 plus. So you want a great platform? Reach young lives. Children and youth, you will have the greatest harvest. If you want a revival, face youth, face children and tell them about Jesus because most people are saved in that period of their life. Are you creative? Do a concert like Sute's the other day that led people to Christ. We, are you into media? I know that groups of prisoners sit around radio sets listening to our radio program. Come on. These are platforms, but it could be administration. It could be food. Oh, say thank God for food. Food is so good. Where's your platform? Where's your platform? And lastly, you need a hook. So you need a heart, you need a head, you've got a plan, and you need a hook. Um, fishing without a hook or a net is not fishing. It's keeping an aquarium. <laughs> We're not here to look at fish, gather fish, throw bread on the water so lots of fish gather around. In other words, crowds mean nothing unless somebody throws a net out or puts a hook and a hook pierces. Say, ouch. A hook, there's always, and this is the hard bit, isn't it? The moment we go in to close the deal, to say, so are you going to give your life to Jesus? It's the hook moment. Without a hook, many people gather people who don't know Christ and do lovely things. But the danger with some care ministries, and we care for a couple of thousand people a week around the world through what we do, so I'm not against care. But care without the gospel is just making the seats on the bus to hell more comfortable. We are here to save souls. Use a hook. I remember we invited Barry Woodward, great evangelist, to come and share with us at one of our concerts. And he said, on one condition, that I'm able to preach the gospel and give an altar call. And I was thinking an altar call in a concert they paid to come. And we're going to give a, a proper altar call, make them walk forward, give them a Bible, talk to them about Jesus. And I said, well, you're the evangelist, go for it. Because he was clear, I'm not just going to gather fish. There has to be a hook are you using the hook you've got to know when you've got to time it just right but at some point maybe you've been meeting someone for five years you've known them for ages and you're scared of getting the hook out and go okay I'm going to ask them this Christmas come to church is it time for you to know Jesus remember you've got to have a hook and if you're not very good with the hook bring them to church and let us be the hook most people stay in church when they get saved in church. We need to bring people into the house of God to experience Jesus. So you need a heart, you need a head, and you need a hook. God help us. When Barry did come and preach, 25 people gave their lives to Christ. And because of his example, we started to put altar calls in our concerts. And it's well into three figures, the amount of people that have been saved over the years. Why? Because Barry taught us, you've got to have a hook. Otherwise, you're just looking at an aquarium. You're not catching fish. Just stand together in the presence of God as we, we come to a close. It's a short one this morning, but it's the start of a series. And close your eyes and let's just think for a few moments about this. God made you to be a fisherman, a fisherwoman. That requires a heart. Here's my challenge for the next month 
I want you to think of three people you're going to start to pray for that this Christmas would be their season of salvation, that they would come to know Jesus. Just pray this quietly to yourself. God, give me a heart for those who don't know you. Let my heart break. Let me leave the 99 and go looking for the one just like you would. And then number two, as we pray, you need a head, you need a plan, a process, a habit. Where is your platform? Where are you reaching the lost? Where is the place that makes it easy for you? Pray about it this week. Identify it. Say, God, I need a platform where I can grow my confidence in sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know you. And where's your hook? Tell your story. Invite people to church. Make that little moment. Recently, there were a group of men saved in prison. They were criminals, but they got saved in prison. And in Asia last year, they were shot for their crimes. And I think by now the story is probably quite well known that these young men, and I believe women as well, walked out to the firing squad singing Amazing Grace. And then they stood in front of the firing squad and sang the Matt Redmond song that we sang this morning, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. And one of them encouraged the others, come on guys, we can do better than this. Sing up. And they sang up. It was their last moment in life and they decided we're going to make a platform of the only thing we've got left, our moment of execution. And when they reached partway through the second verse, the guns fired and they were killed. If they can make a platform of their last moment on this planet, then God help us, we can make a platform in our lives.